0: hey guys welcome to this edition of let's be blunt with montel my guest today earned her bachelor's degree in business administration at northeastern university she became a passionate advocate for cannabis after a kneecap injury led to her discovery of the medical benefits of the plant she went on to found a company to bring wholesale organic products to the market also co-founding the Massachusetts HEP Coalition and serving on the board of directors for the Northeast Sustainable Health Association and Elevate Northeast. She was a recipient of the 2020 NECAN Community Award for Massachusetts Cannabis Activist of the Year. Lauren, Laura Beener, welcome so much to Let's Be Blot with Montel.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am so grateful to be here. I actually grew up watching your show a lot, so it's, it's quite an honor.
0: Well, thank you so much. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Where would you grow up? Where are you from? You know, um what were what were your goals when you were younger?
1: Sure. So, I grew up um in North Andover, Massachusetts. I ended up going to boarding school for high school up here near Newburyport um at the Governor's Academy. I was a very very dedicated basketball and softball player. Um I played the like both sports all year round. Um, I actually kind of overdid it, I'd say, because I had a lot of injuries when I was younger. Um, And I actually dislocated my kneecap in my senior year, um, right towards the end of my basketball season. And Mm -hmm. that's something I have done many times since. Um, But that actual kneecap injury is really what allowed me to fall in love with cannabis as like a medical plant from the beginning.
0: Now, had you been been a recreational kind of user for a little bit or no?
1: No. Well, so I, in high school, I was such an athlete that I was like, I don't smoke cannabis. I was, you know, captain of both sports. Um, I was a pitcher. I felt like I was such a role model and I would never touch the plant. And then as soon as I graduated high school, my friend was like, you have to try cannabis or, you know, weed or whatever we called it then. And she's like, this is the most amazing thing. Um, It was my friend who was going to MIT and she was a softball player. And I was like... (laughs) she's she's a genius if she's telling me to try cannabis I might as well try it um and the first time I actually got high was the first time I felt my knee kind of just like the pain disappear and then also my anxiety leave my body for like the first time ever so I was 18 years old and feeling like almost like this freedom that cannabis first showed me that I could feel by just like allowing myself to not feel that like awful anxiety and that like I was a all-A student I held such standards for myself. Um, and then when you graduate high school, you're like thrown into the world. Um, and so cannabis was like that best friend that I found pretty much right before college that really changed kind of how I see the world, how I see myself. And I'm just so grateful for that plan.
0: And I would say that, I was well, I wanna know from you, but um, clearly your cannabis use did not affect your grades.
1: No, yeah, exactly. And I went to Northeastern, I graduated cum laude. I was a research and teaching assistant and I consumed like in the morning, like I, before my day started for college, I would use a little bit of cannabis. It would help my ADD, my anxiety. I was the most talkative in class. You know, I was always answering questions, raising my hand, being inquisitive. Um, I just found cannabis really unlocked my creative side, my critical thinking side. Um, and just really allowed me to be a better student, which was an interesting. And
0: help you to cope with your pain.
1: Yes, exactly. Coping my pain, um, which was, I, dis- I dislocated my kneecap five times. So, in oh like each time, they are varying degrees of, of pain. Um, my last time actually was the day I delivered my twin daughters 16 All months right. ago. Right before my C-section, I uh, stood up and it dislocated. But, yeah, so cannabis is the thing that allows me to manage pain, um, even after like my C-section and I'm kind of skipping ahead, but I didn't use any medications but cannabis because it is my pain medication. Absolutely.
0: Is that what drove you to take a look at you know cannabis as uh, uh, as a as a, uh, a job or I mean, you did form a CBD company. Why did you decide to do that?
1: Sure. So um, I think it was 2013. I went out to the high Times cannabis Cup in Denver. it was, and that was the year cannabis legalized in Denver, and I was out there for pretty much the first like it's legal. we can give it out um so it was just cannabis was everywhere. there were thousands of people at this high Times Cup, and I saw that this was gonna be an industry, and I was like, these are my people. I love this plant um i can I can consume like larger amounts of cannabis and it's not like something that gets me anxiety or anything like that. So I can be a macro user. So I was like, this is, I feel like this plant is my calling. Um, and then I just went through my whole Northeastern career writing every paper I could on cannabis, um, bringing it up in every kind of topic I could in class, um, just trying to really think about it. Like this is gonna be a career and I wanna find my place in there. Um, and then when I graduated Northeastern is when I found myself part of Women Grow in Boston, found an amazing network Um, and then I started the business when I re dislocated my kneecap again. Um, summer of 2016, which is, it is so painful. Like when I see someone do it in like a sports game or something, I almost want to like vomit because it's the pain you feel it's, it's something else. Um, and so I actually, that dislocation in 2016, I found a cannabis solve that was supposed to be good for like, you know, menstrual cramps and pain. I put it on my knee and it was instantly took my pain away relieved the bruising, the swelling. Um, and it was that right. There was like my light bulb moment of I want to make cannabis topicals. I want them to be everywhere and I want to tell people about it because who really was even talking about cannabis topicals seven, eight years ago? Not many people. And they're so powerful.
0: So now you named your business Healing Rose after your dog Rose, but your dog Rose was a rescue, right?
1: Yeah. So we actually rescued her from Manchester dog fighting um, Kind of got her through the grapevines uh, and yeah that was uh quite the experience we got her someone was just like please take this dog she's the sweetest dog she's going to actually be a bait dog in dog fighting um she was just a little nut.
0: i don't know why do they still have dog fighting in massachusetts it's Come on. i
1: mean manchester new hampshire i guess is <laughs> new hampshire um I, but it, when i heard about that it really felt like so just like archaic like you're like People are still doing this with these beautiful pit bulls. Um, so we rescued her. She was just the sweetest dog when we brought her home. Um, she actually got this stomach infection and almost passed away at five months. So she's just been like the sweetest, emotional, loving dog. She's nine and a half now, and yeah, we send her a picture of her with every order that goes out because she's just so special to us.
0: And you have an organization that actually goes around rescuing dogs too, right? We
1: don't have an organization. No, I just worked with. Um, someone there. And then I also worked with Rescue Dogs Rock New York for my other dog, but I don't have an organization, but I did work with an organization. Yes.
0: Sure. Sure. Well, tell me a little bit about the products that you you have and and their use.
1: Sure. So um, we really focus a lot on topicals. That's due to state laws. I'm not allowed to make edible products, unfortunately. So we do CBD herbal salves, massage oils, bath soaks, lip balms, um, roll-on oils. We're about to release suppositories. Wait, this is oh, a, a
0: Mass, right? Wait, so, I'm sorry. No, this is in Massachusetts, right? Yes. Yeah, so. Well, they, they do allow they do allow edibles in Mass.
1: So my MDAR license does not allow me to make edibles. You can make it if you are an out-of-state company, if you are a CCC-licensed company, but MDAR licensees actually are not allowed to make hemp edible products. And part of what we're doing wow. with the Massachusetts Hemp Coalition right now is fighting for two separate bills. For the third go-around, that will allow for it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're the co-founder of the Massachusetts Hemp Coalition. Why don't you tell me what the organization is, why you decided to start it, and what their goals are?
1: Sure. So, 2019, um, Summer MDAR, which is the Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources, came out and said, if you hold an MDAR hemp license, you can only make this really small list of products, which were pretty much just topical products. Um, And that really sent the industry into a frenzy. I was really the only company at The Healing Rose just making topical products. Um, So I felt like I had this duty to step up. So I founded the organization. I organized close to 70, 80 people within a week, did a statehouse rally, and we just worked to get legislation done at the state level with local reps. Um, We actually got a, we worked with another woman who actually helped get a um, state budget amendment that allows for our products to be sold into dispensaries as an MDAR license. So we've, we've gotten incremental wins here and there, but that huge um, big over rule of not allowing to make hemp edibles in the state, um, it really hurts farmers, especially in, in small businesses.
0: Can you, can you explain to me, if you can, I'm, I'm sure you've been in, in hearings as to what are the reasons why they don't want you to make hemp edible products?
1: That's a great question. And they will say the FDA does not allow for it. And that is in, in but, yeah.
0: but the FDA doesn't allow for state regulations of cannabis either. I know,
1: I know. And that's, um, so that's why there's really no re- enforcement. So I will say, like, if you are making hemp edibles, you're not gonna get in trouble. But I have such a face <laughs> running a hemp organization. Um, I work with MDAR and the CCC and talk to them. So if I was to start making products that are not, allowed. Um, it's just not what I want to do with the brand, but I want to eventually make them legally, but
0: Sure. And then tell me a little bit about this Northeast Sustainable Hemp Association. What's that all about?
1: Sure. So NOSHA is a small organization. I kind of consider it like Mass Hemp Coalition's sister company or sister organization rather. Um, they are actually in the process to become an NPO and they focus more on like the farming aspect of it. Um, with me running the Hemp Coalition, I don't have the mind of what it takes to, like, think as a farmer and advocate as a farmer. So Julia Agrin, who is the president of NOSHA, does a lot to really also provide opportunities, like for hempcrete and things outside of cannabinoids on hemp, but also just always making sure we're thinking about things from a sustainable standpoint and really the small farmer and the small people that are in the industry.
0: And what is Elevate Northeast?
1: Ah, Elevate Northeast, I love them so much. Um, They are an organization, a nonprofit that actually, I think it was five years ago when we closed um, Women Grow Boston chapter and we started our own thing here. Um, It's not just women, it is also, it's all genders. Um, But what we do is we provide educational opportunities, scholarships, um, and they actually just did a fundraiser pitch competition with social equity CCC applicants and gave over $200,000 away um, for investment seed. So just trying to create educational opportunities, promote diversity and equity in the space, um, and really make sure that we're creating like the industry that we want here.
0: Gotcha. Now, what advice would you give to others who are looking to get in the industry, especially in mass? Because again, I mean, you know, almost every state is entirely different these days. We're running into regulations that in some states, I mean, every state's got a kind of different. What advice would you give to others who are looking to get into the industry?
1: Yeah, the best thing you can do is just start getting out there, networking, going to events. Um, When I first got out of Northeastern, I went to events not knowing anyone at all, which is very nerve wracking. But I'm so glad I pushed through that. You create that network, start volunteering. Where can I help? Where can I be of service to the plant? You know, that's always what I hope people getting into the industry want to do is how can I work with this plant I love so much. Um, So volunteering, there's organizations like MassCan that you can get involved in, um, Elevate, obviously, um, all these amazing places where you can give your time and make a name for yourself and show your face um, is is the best way to get out there.
0: Right. And what are some of the, you know, I mean, every state has their – issues with their regulations, what would you like to see change in mass and Massachusetts cannabis regulations?
1: Good question. Um, and then
0: I that cannabis happens to have almost like two different sets of regulations, right?
1: Yeah, they are. And then they're slowly almost becoming one. I will say MDAR and the CCC are working together more. Um, and it's because of a lot of these minor cannabinoids that are coming out. I mean, you can grow almost every single cannabinoid, but Delta nine in abundance. You
0: know. Well, now, they just, I guess they just they just uh, passed a law or the DEA. They, they don't pass laws. DEA just sent out a regulation uh, adding Delta 8 and nine zero to their list of products that should no longer be sold. And I know in mass, I happen to be in a marketplace there with a uh, THC product um, that's been doing pretty well. But I, I know that in Massachusetts, there have been those who have been selling Delta 8. So first of all, what do you think about that? And um, the fact that the DA has stepped down, I've been saying this for like the last two years. I knew that the DA was going to issue some sort of an edict against Delta 8. It was only a matter of time. Those who were messing around with it, I think, brought undue attention to the industry, um, trying to manufacture something that's not a no. Delta 8 is a naturally occurring substance in the plant. It is not naturally occurring at those levels. And the only way you can get the levels that we are seeing is by pushing it chemically, which then makes and creates a new molecule that maybe even our own, new, own endocannabinoid system doesn't even recognize.
1: Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, you have a difficult- Sorry, you said that literally perfectly. Um, I've never tried messing with those synthetically derived cannabinoids. Um, personally, I would never try to give them to my customers. Our customers trust us so much to provide safe quality, you know, organic ingredients. We're certified organic here. So um, the quality of the ingredients matters so much. And when you start messing with the molecules, we um, actually had a little boy that passed away from having like way too many Delta 8 gummies because he overheated. And like that has never been known to happen with Delta 9. But when we start creating these different, you know, molecules and start doing these type of things, unintended consequences happen. And then legislators love to come in. They'll just, Like, where can I pass laws right here to be restrictive? And when those legislators do that, um, sometimes they do have, you know, advocates working with them. So they pass the correct laws and other times they do it just, you know, trying to do that the best they can and they can miss the mark. Um, But I don't see any future, you know, gas station sales once it all settles out of any cannabinoids that will get you high. I just I just can't see it. I mean, there's even Delta 9 gummies at gas stations. People are making 25 milligram Delta nine brownies since the weight of the brownie is below 0.3 and selling them at gas stations. And it's like, what do we think is going to happen here? The dispensaries have a five milligram limit and there's 20 milligram stuff at 7-Eleven, like in, in Newburyport, it's absolutely insane. And it's, they it won't last, you know, it's just, it just takes time for legislators to come in.
0: You hope that they won't last, but, I mean, it's really ridiculous. I think it's one of the things about this industry that we can be our our worst enemies. I mean, uh, you know, they they outlawed Delta 8. They're going to come up with something new. I bet they'll come up with Delta 7, Delta 12, something that's ridiculously synthetic made from chemicals underneath your kitchen sink and think that they are doing somebody a favor, but they really are not.
1: Yep. You can even make... Delta-9 THC with CBD using certain acids and synthetically manipulating in the lab, which is happening on the West Coast from what I'm hearing. Um, hemp is right. being brought in and CBD isolate form, brought into the cannabis space. They're manipulating it in the lab and they're putting it into THC gummies or edibles and the cannabis farmers are getting left out. Hemp is so much cheaper to grow. And then we're like, what is the quality of that molecule? We're taking everything away from the plant except that they're isolating the, the Delta-9. And it's just not the, it's not the plant I want to see. And it's, it's so far from what, you know, patients and people that really truly believe in the power of this, this plant want.
0: And especially when, again, I I go back to the fact that though we can manipulate the cannabinoids this way, we've not figured out how to manipulate our endocannabinoid system. And so therefore, you know, what you're shoving into, you know, I kind of liken it to, you know like a small pipette you know if you try to shove too much into a pipette it's not going to get there and that's the same thing i think that we're doing with our endocannabinoid system we're trying to shove things down at the system that wasn't made for created to receive and so therefore we have no idea how that's going to individually affect every individual out there that might consume
1: 100 and it's you know we all have that en- unique endocannabinoid system and then just trying to Frankenstein all these cannabinoids just, it, it's, it's concerning. I completely with you.
0: Good term. Good term. But again, but, but what would you like to okay. see happen in Massachusetts to, to change some of the regulations that are going on up there right now?
1: Sure. So I would love to
0: see, oh, we'll
1: yeah, yeah. I would love to see um, it be easier to get into this space as a smaller um, cultivator or processor. Um, there's certain things that, really hold up and make it a very expensive process. Um, I'm not going through the CCC process myself, but I do know that having um, to secure a location prior to to applying and paying for rent and things like that can be really a hindrance for people. So trying to just create more opportunities for people um, and then allowing for some kind of, so that we can have outdoor cultivation and farmers be more a part of the industry. Um, I just think as time goes on and as it eventually does become a federally um, legal plant growing in-
0: Well, let me yeah. ask you that question. When do you, think, when do you think that that might happen? I mean, put your crystal ball on. Do you think yes. that's going to happen anytime soon?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, I would think it's going to be in the next eight to 10 years, um, but I'm definitely not counting, <laughs> not planning for it. Just because it's there's so much unknown when it comes to that, I do I would love to see decriminalization at the federal level. Um, and then there also is a question. I was meeting with the former CCC commissioner um, about whether or not can you restrict interstate commerce? So can New York and Massachusetts, why is that restricted if both states are legal? That could come to a head um, before it passes completely. Across the country, so you could say, "Hey, we're not allowed to as a federal government restrict interstate commerce between Massachusetts and like New York." Um,
0: but unfortunately, but unfortunately, the states are restricting it themselves. It's not the yeah, Fed. No. Yeah. The states are putting everybody has their own draconian laws yeah. that really would be restrictive in crossing product from state lines. I mean, you know, like just look what's going on in Mass. There are certain products that you can manufacture that you can't manufacture other places and certain products that you can manufacture other places that you can't manufacture in mass. So therefore mass could say, well, we're not going to let Connecticut bring some of their products in here. I mean, I'm I'm getting ready to work in the the state of Georgia and Georgia has put a limit on the amount of, or the level of THC that can be in anything, which is really ridiculous to me. Uh, But, you know, so you've got Georgia with a restrictive amount of THC and you know, let's say Florida, you know, for a little while they were not allowing any edibles of any type. And so it's just going to be, I think it's going to be a mess for at least three, four more years. And I think part of that's because the states are going to fight it more than the Fed will. States will fight it because they want to be able to make sure that they capture their own tax revenue.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Everyone's going to be scared their pie is going to go missing. Everyone's going to start freaking out and trying to keep it in the state.
0: Or their pie is going to get a little smaller. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly, exactly. Everyone, especially you, uh, see it in the Massachusetts market right now. So many places are opening up. There is an overabundance now of supply. Um, and so things are kind of getting shooken up in that sense. It's good for processors and things like that. But um, from what I hear, certain cultivators are saying they have a ton of flour where they're not able to move it where they were like a year ago or so. Um, so this industry is changing rapidly. And like you said, every state has its own industry. And then you take into effect that there's cannabis and hemp state laws and state programs in every state, except obviously cannabis isn't in every state, but every state for the most part has some sort of hemp law or program,
0: um, yeah, 30 39 states in the district of Columbia. It's hard to figure out which, how many, how many just passed, but yeah. I think it's 30 states in the district of Columbia. Now.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, what happens when we all pass it <laughs> or all the states pretty much for the most part pass it? um It's going to come into that whole. I think, thing. I think I think
0: it'll be I think it'll be ten years before a couple states on that list that had not passed will even consider passing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's something to be said about people moving to those states who don't like cannabis. You're like, I want to go where I don't yeah. want cannabis.
0: Right, right. right. I, I say bye. Yeah. No, sorry, it's okay. <laughs> go ahead, have a nice day. Just try C V yeah.
1: one day. Maybe it'll be a gateway into this amazing plant. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, uh, they'll, they'll run to another state and then turn around trying to fly to other places to pick a product to take back home. That's the truth. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, do you think that the you know the mindset in mass? I mean, I, I've I've kind of seen you know all sides of mass so far since I've been traveling in and out of the state quite a bit to uh, promote products that it doesn't seem like the industry is really trying to coalesce and come together. They're still trying, everybody's trying to fight for their own little fiefdom.
1: That's a really good observation in the cannabis space. I'd say it's very competitive. And like I said, with this changing of the market, I think it's either it's becoming a little bit more competitive for the places that haven't established good brands or maybe they just thought they'd build a dispensary and people would come and they didn't really cultivate a really strong um, following locally in their community. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I think with the, the hemp coalition, I was able to pull a lot of the hemp people together. We compete on like a national, you know, level rather than in the state. So people are more likely to help each other out, share information. But I, I really don't see a very like cohesive voice or any kind of community amongst like the cannabis companies. Unfortunately, they're kind of very segmented.
0: You know, I I did notice that, uh, I guess, it's coming out of Pike pretty soon. You're going to have, um, um, what is it called, consumption, uh, live consumption or public consumption uh, opportunities for licensing places that you can consume publicly. Um, Will that be differentiated between hemp consumption and cannabis consumption, or can you right now literally go ahead and have a public consumption uh, hemp lounge.
1: So I guess you could have a public consumption hemp lounge, except for the fact that the only place to be able to buy hemp flower in Massachusetts is from a dispensary. So we have more restrictive hemp flower rules or laws in Massachusetts or regulations than federally. Um, But there's the summit lounge in Worcester, which is a private club where we've been (laughs) able to go and consume cannabis. Um, but I mean, technically if consumption started, you could sell, you could have a THC edible if it was legal to sell there, but you can't sell a hemp edible. It's, it's not allowed in Massachusetts as, as silly as that sounds, even, um, hemp pet products. Like if you were to make a pet tincture or a pet treat, not allowed as much as they are everywhere and how silly that sounds.
0: But you could sell a cannabis cannabis animal product
1: yeah you could without THC in it yeah yeah
0: wow yeah crazy
1: I'll add the CCC will say you can't call it a hemp edible though that's like their whole like trying to protect hemp you just can't put hemp edible on it even though it would just be a CBD edible I'm like that's (laughs) I feel like you're throwing me some bone I don't want here (laughs) I
0: don't care. As, well, as, as if CBD comes from something else.
1: I know. As if it's not right. one plant. Yeah. You know, exactly.
0: Right. Anything else you'd like to see change the mass?
1: Um, no, besides consumption, that's a, that's a really great point. Um, and I would say on the delivery side of things, um, I really feel like they are putting delivery operators and businesses at this huge disadvantage by having, two drivers in the car and all these restrictive things that, from what I hear, if you do have the business plan.
0: Two drivers in the car was an airplane?
1: They're like, we need security. I mean, you're going to pay those drivers a good wage. You need, you know, everything that comes with it just to drop me off my eighth. I just don't see how the margins are there to have a really profitable business. Um, So I think we need to, to support them as soon as possible and give them some kind of regulations that make it a viable business plan because, Labor is so expensive. I mean, just having three employees myself, I can't even imagine trying to run a delivery operation.
0: As a young lady in the business, I mean, you know, and and we do know that, you know, uh, what we've seen since day one is that this industry is very male centric and, you know, in some ways does discriminate against women getting in. Are you seeing opportunities open up for women now more so than you did when you first started?
1: That's a really great question, because in 2016, 2017, um, I actually went out to Women Grow conference in Denver, and they were promoting that women in C-suite positions in cannabis right now are in about 30%. Um, And then I want to say it was like three or four years later, it dropped down to 20%. And I don't know where we're at now. But I do believe that in the early stages, women did have this leg up. But now it's like big corporate money's coming in. And just like a lot of outside interests than versus like just like community type of businesses, it's starting to become more male dominated again. Um, I will say like the marketing level and of course like bud tenders and stuff like that, it's pretty um, gender like diverse. But when you start getting up there in like the C-suite level, finding women, you know, CEOs, COOs is a lot less common in in my opinion.
0: And what do you think you got to do to change that? Is that, a, is that a pipeline issue? Is that an issue of more women not getting together and forming a coalition to to demand equity? Or what do you think the reasons are for that?
1: Yeah, I, I think it can be just kind of that old mindset of a lot of the people in this space now do come from like, you know, they've been in the just corporate world for like 20, 30, 40 years. So it's kind of that old mindset. Um, yeah, I think it just the the community being so male focused. I think people think, have this preconceived notion that men understand the plant more, they get it more. Um, And yeah, I mean, I've been a cannabis consumer since 2009 and a patient for over 10 years. So I would always go to a lot of those underground cannabis events back before when I was in college. And people would literally be like, oh, who are you here with? just assuming that I was there with a man, just because I was a woman at cannabis event, you know? And You
0: can't be there by yourself. Yeah, no,
1: no, they'd be like, oh, oh, okay. And I'd be like, am I allowed to- No, no, it's just like a really weird feeling. Um, And so it's definitely changing. Like if you, there's a lot of women cannabis events and places to go and a lot of women in this space. So I just think we need to like kind of just break through instead of getting like VP roles and like heads of marketing yeah, I I think maybe just, yeah, yeah, exactly. We need to be more in C-suite and maybe I'm not blaming women for that, but maybe just more education on that. We can do it, be more sort of and just having people actually give that opportunity, of course, too.
0: And if people want to get more information about Healing Rose, where would they go?
1: Sure. So we, you can find us at thehealingroseco.com. We are very active on Instagram, thehealingrose underscore, um, and also on LinkedIn as well.
0: And, you know, one more time, because we kind of went through it really quickly. Let's talk about some of the products that you have and what they do with, from Healing Rose perspective.
1: Sure. So um, our best seller I actually have it right here is our Lemon Ginger Solve. Um, it's probably like 50 percent of our sales are just this one product. And this right here is so good for inflammation, pain. Um, we have people that buy just jars and jars of it at a time because it's how they are able to get through their day for like inflammation, arthritis. Um, we also focus on tinctures, so we have a CBD oil, we have a CBG CBD oil. Um, and tinctures are quickly becoming some of our best sellers, I mean people.
0: But again, now your tinctures yeah. are edible. Yes. So how do you get around, how do you get around that?
1: The CCC came through and came out with a whole um, letter saying tinctures are not edibles. So thanks, guys. Even though you put it in. Even though you put it in your mouth, I can't put on the label that you can put in your mouth. Um, so for, it's certified organic. So, like, I couldn't even get our certificate, certification on that product if it says to eat it, um, which is silly. But people, you know, they understand. And if they tell us, hey, or ask us, can I eat this? I would be like, yes. Um, but it's just for like the labeling, playing that silly game yeah
0: that's really ridiculous so yeah, absolutely so it's, it's, now, is there anything else you'd like that yeah so we here?
1: also make bath soaks um and then soon we're coming out with um, suppositories and i've been giving out suppositories for close to four years i call myself the suppository fairy i'm so passionate about the application of using them um you know like with the suppository for colitis crohn's lower back pain endometriosis I'm not saying it cures that but to help with with uh, managing it um i'm so excited to launch that that's uh, that's been a huge
0: yeah a lot of people a lot of people don't understand that you know suppositories have a um a better bioavailability um uh, property than even edible
1: yes exactly and we have um our cbg cbds are a one-to-one and cbg has been found to be a lot more effective than cbd for pain and gut health and inflammation and things like that. And from our R and D, we're finding it's like see, that serious next level compared to CBD only on the suppositories. So we're very. Yeah, excited. You, probably,
0: you might probably find some some uh, efficaciousness in utilizing CBDa instead of regular CBD.
1: Yes, actually, I'm I'm getting a kilo of CBDa hopefully in the next week or so. Um, the key with that is making sure it doesn't degrade, and there is some um, more considerations on how your customers are going to store it so yeah if you have like a cbda tincture and you leave it out it'll actually like decarb into cbd over time so just like keeping it in the fridge mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that but i'm very excited mm-hmm. about all the acidic possibilities of cbga cbda cbd phca
0: yeah, all of yeah it's, it, it's
1: it's so exciting um and we're starting to have those available like i can get buy now cbga isolate or cbg cba isolate um, which wasn't available before so we're really excited for that too
0: Super. Anything else you want to add?
1: Um no. Oh, we're also coming out with a um CBN tincture and a THCV tincture as well. Um that I'm I'm super excited to start getting to people's hands.
0: Wow, super, super. And again, people want to find out more, they can go to healingrose.com. Thehealingrose.com.
1: Or yeah, the healingroseco.com, the healingrose.com. excuse me.
0: Okay. All right. Healingroseco.com. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for being a part of the show today. And I want all of our viewers out there to make sure that they go up on your website and check it out. And uh, if they happen to be in Massachusetts, where can they go to find your products? Are you in dispensaries?
1: Yeah, so we're actually in eighty plus dispensaries in Massachusetts. So there's a good chance you could find us, or um, you can stop right by here in Newburyport. We'll help you out. Um, You can always just pop in.
0: Okay, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show today, and make sure you guys all keep tuning in too. Let's be blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com.